1: Today on Something You Should Know, what is it about texting and driving that makes it so dangerous? This will surprise you. Then, questions are a great way to communicate and connect if you ask the right questions.
0: One of the things that I use to measure whether a question is good or not is whether there is actually curiosity behind it. So you know you're asking a bad question when you don't really want to know the answer, right? (laughs) That means it's not a very good question.
1: Plus, when women stare at attractive men, what is it they're staring at exactly? And how the baggage from your past can get in your way today if you let it.
2: My family was so full of drama and tragedy I just kind of stayed under the radar and it took a long time to think wow you know I've got something of worth to say and I've got things to do in life that are important at the very least to me.
1: All this today on Something You Should Know. If you have to hire someone what's the best way? Referrals? Well maybe that could work but just because somebody knows somebody who knows you Something you should know. Fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hey, welcome. If you've ever texted while you were driving, even though you're not supposed to, if you've ever done it, you know that it is incredibly distracting. But wait, there are plenty of other things that distract us when we drive that don't cause accidents like texting does. So what is it about texting that makes it so distracting? Well, a study at the University of Houston came up with some interesting answers. They had volunteers drive in a simulator under four different conditions. Normal focused driving, driving while trying to answer challenging questions, driving while being asked emotionally charged questions, and driving while texting. And what's so interesting about this is that in all cases except driving and texting, the volunteers were protected by this sixth sense that kept them safe. There is part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, or ACC, and that's known to automatically intervene as an error corrector when there's a conflict. So when the driver's mind wanders, this sixth sense prevents them from veering off the road. But it needs support from the driver's eye-hand coordination, and the eye-hand coordination isn't available if you're texting. And that's what seems to make driving and texting so very, very dangerous. And that is something you should know. You navigate every day of your life by asking other people questions. Think about how many questions you ask people every day, from the simple, hey, how are you, to asking for directions, or asking your boss for a raise, or asking very deep, thoughtful, probing questions. Of course, the purpose of asking any question is to get an answer. But the interesting thing is that, The quality of the answer you get is directly related to the quality of the question you ask. Asking better questions will get you better answers, according to journalist Warren Berger, who has taken a deep dive into the research about questions. And he's written a book called The Book of Beautiful Questions, the powerful questions that will help you
0: decide, create,
1: connect, and lead. Hey, Warren.
0: Hi, it's good to be here.
1: So you have perhaps a deeper appreciation and understanding of the power of questions than most of us have. So how do you approach this topic?
0: I've been studying it for a while now, and initially I came at it from the angle of a journalist. So I was asking a lot of questions. I was a reporter for newspapers for a long time. And, um, you know, I thought of it as a tool for kind of eliciting information from people, which it is, it's very. That's a very valuable uh, use of questioning. But over time, I started to study it as a subject and, appre- and began to appreciate that it it has so many. There are so many great things that questioning does. Like, for instance, you know, the questions you ask other people are really good for not only gathering information but building relationships with other people. It's one of the best ways to engage with people. Uh, And then the other thing which I hadn't really thought about is the importance of the questions you ask yourself, because when you kind of step back and ask yourself questions about your own life or what it is you're trying to do, it can really help you to think more deeply. Uh, When you ask questions about the world around you, like, why does this thing work this way and why hasn't someone come up with a better X or Y? When you ask those kinds of questions, it can lead to innovation and change. So I just found it to be this really powerful force in our society, in our world, that is um, kind of underappreciated.
1: Well, I suspect you're right, because as I said a moment ago, it's we we don't really think about this as a topic. Questions are just, you know, it's like walking. You, you put one foot in front of the other, you, if you need to know something, you ask a question. And we, we don't think about the topic of questions, and yet... How many of us know somebody who who asks us really good questions and we connect with that person and we like that person because they're asking us about what we think? And there's so much to this if you peel back the onion a bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And And it's a funny thing about questioning. Like, it's not that hard to do, but you have to pay attention to it. So, I mean, it's not hard to do in the sense that kids, kids are great at it. You know, we sort of instinctively know how to ask questions. But the problem is we sort of get out of the habit of asking questions. You know, I mean, it's something we do a lot when we're younger. And then as we get older, we do it less and less. And the other thing we get into the habit of doing is asking uh, really rote, rote questions, uh, you know, kind of thoughtless questions like, how are you? What's up? You know, and. So we don't put a lot of thought or effort into our questioning. And the the difference between asking someone a rote question, you know, how was your day, as opposed to asking a little bit more of a specific question, you know, what was the most interesting thing that happened to you today? Just by putting a little more specificity into questions, they, they become more powerful and, and more interesting to people. So I think that's, that's kind of the thing to keep in mind about it, is that, it, it, you know, pay attention to it. Pay attention to the questions you ask, because the way you ask them and, and the tone you ask them in, all those things are going to um, uh, impact the way a person responds.
1: Yeah, well, how, like you said, we ask questions like, hey, how's it going? I don't yeah. really. I don't really want to hear how it's going. I know.
0: No, especially. You know, I, I find myself. It's funny. I find myself giving talks in front of groups of people, and I'll say, "How is everyone this morning?" And then I realize that's the most ridiculous question, right? First of all, you know, everyone. Everyone is different. Everyone in the room is different. So it's like uh, you know, we get into the habit of asking these sort of pointless questions. Uh, bosses do this at work, and I. I, I talk to managers and executives a lot and say, don't go around and ask your people, you know, how's it going or, you know, what's happening. Um, Try to ask them individualized, specific questions, uh, and and you're going to get a much better um, uh, feedback.
1: I think that's so important because of those kinds of questions of everything okay, how's it going, uh, what's going on. Well, if things aren't going well, uh, do you really want to hear that? Do you, do you really want me to tell you all the problems I'm having with this thing I'm working on? Or do you want me to just say, hey, things are great?
0: Uh, that brings me to, you know, one of the things that I use to measure whether a question is good or not is whether there is actually curiosity behind it. So you know you're asking a bad question when you don't really want to know the answer, right? That means it's not a very good question. Good questions have curiosity behind them, and the curiosity is apparent in the question. The person on the other end can see, wow, this person's really curious. They really want to know about me, or they want to know about something I'm doing. Um, And, you know, we react a whole different way to curiosity than we do to, you know, just people asking questions as a formality or asking questions. Another thing to watch out for, people ask questions as a form of, like, veiled criticism. You know, like, what were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) And and it's like, you don't want to go there either. You know, like, if if you're going to really tap into the power of questions, you know, a really good rule to keep in mind is that it's directly tied to curiosity. So if your questions are sort of being fed by curiosity, they will be much more uh, powerful.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important, because a lot of times you, you can tell when someone's asking you a question, they're really just criticizing you. They're just, yeah, absolutely. It, it's just, a, it's a like you said, it's a veiled way to throw out criticism when you don't really want to know the answer to the question, what were you thinking?
0: This is something that bosses do all the time, and, and parents do it sometimes, and it, it really takes away the value of questioning if you're using it that way.
1: Well, when you ask your kid who's running late, why are you late? Well, right. Well, he doesn't. Exactly. What's, what's, he, what's he supposed <laughs> to say? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. A lot, a lot yeah. of questions don't have answers, and they're not meant to. They're meant to. They're. They're meant to make a point, usually a negative, right. critical point, which yeah, which doesn't typically help the conversation. Oh no, absolutely not. So, uh, other than curiosity, how can people become better questioners?
0: First of all, um, pay attention to the tone of your questions uh, because uh, a lot of times we can be a little bit abrupt or aggressive in our tone when we 're asking questions and the reason you have to be careful like if you just come right out and ask them, "Why are you doing that or what what 's your story or you know um, that kind of questioning can sometimes set people back a little bit they 're like oh is this is this person like interrogating me or what's going on. So I think uh, when you ask questions of other people, um, try to frame it as uh, you're interested, you're curious. In fact, one of the ways you can do that is it sounds kind of obvious, but use the word, curious in there, you know, say, I'm curious to know something, and then proceed with your question. Or, you know, I've, I was wondering about something, then proceed with your question. That little uh, preface is really important because it sort of um, relaxes people, and it lets them know where your question is coming from. Um, sometimes what I also tell people is, if, you, if you're asking a question that's a little bit of a difficult question, and people now this gets a is a big issue in the workplace. A lot of times people want to ask their manager something or and they they 're not sure if they should ask it. so one of the things you can do is start with curiosity you know say i 'm just i 'm curious about something, ask the question, and then provide the rationale of why you are asking say you know i 'm curious about something here 's my question. The reason I ask is because, you know, on my job, I I sometimes have this issue. So you're giving a little bit of a rationale for why you're asking that question. So those two things, the the curiosity at the beginning and the rationale at the end, it makes sure that no one's going to misunderstand your question, right? A lot of times people misinterpret questions they think you're – you're being nosy, or they think you're being critical, they think you're, I don't know, they have all kinds of reasons why they get defensive about questioning. So you want to put people at ease. That's a, that's a big, big thing. Um, and another thing you want to do is listen and follow up, because that's really, that's going to indicate to people you're paying attention. Um, so, you know, if, if you have a bunch of questions you want to ask someone, don't just go down a list, boom, 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 ask a question listen to what they're saying, and try to ask a, a follow-up question that goes a little deeper on something they just said, you know? Oh, that's interesting. What, can you tell me a little more about that? Or what, what do you mean by by this? You just said this. What, I'm wondering what, what you mean by that. So that kind of follow-up questioning is really important. It. it
1: well, I know what you said a moment ago about um, giving the reason why. And I remember there, I talked to someone, there was some research about where where they... Uh, asked people uh, who were waiting in line to make copies at a copier, uh, mm. uh, could I cut in line? And mm. they were, uh, people would let them cut in line if they told them why, because I'm running it late for happen. a meeting or I've got to pick up yeah. my kid or something like that, yeah. compared to if they just said, can I cut in line? The, yeah. the oh, people, human yeah. beings like to know the reason behind it
0: yeah and and that 's true with questioning and it, it it's, it's just it's just one of those things you know questioning is confrontational um, and that 's one of the negative parts of it or it, it can be seen as confrontational and that 's why people all the time are nervous about uh asking questions at work right they don 't want to seem like oh gee i if I ask questions am I going to be stepping over the line? you know am I going to be upsetting someone in some way so Don't use that as a reason not to ask questions, just keep it in mind and realize since it is inherently uh, or it can be confrontational, do all you can to soften it, you know, and to make sure people understand why that, that your questions are coming from a good place. You know, they're coming from a place of trying to understand curiosity, trying to get better at your job, whatever it is.
1: I'm speaking with Warren Berger, and he is author of the book of Beautiful Questions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices.
1: Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know was all about. So, Warren, uh, I understand the, the case you're making, that questions can can really make a difference in a conversation, but I've also been in conversations with people where, you know, it's <laughs> it's enough with the questions. You're asking too many questions, you're being too nosy. And I've had people ask me things like, you know, when I first meet them, what are you passionate about? And sometimes I think, and may, maybe it has to do with the way they ask the question, but but sometimes I think, wait, I don't know you well enough to share my passions that asking me that it's 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 a little too much too soon
0: really okay well i mean i i've, I've had really good reactions to that question because i find that people are they're even though they may not know you very well they want to talk about what they're interested in they want to talk about their passions yeah you're so right yeah i, there I guess you have right. to be yeah there doesn't have to be a deep connection to uh in fact a lot of people talk about the fact that we're often afraid to dive into the deep end when we're early in relationships with people. We kind of um, hang around the shallow end of the pool, if you know what I mean, um, because we feel like, oh, I don't know this person well enough to start talking about, you know, what's going on in our lives, what what we care about. But, you know, there's an argument to be made that it's okay to to go into the deep end fairly quickly with people because that's when you'll either click or not you'll discover that there are common interests or not and you know if it if if there aren't there aren't but that's where you may just in your first meeting with someone discover that this is really you know this is a kindred soul this is someone that really uh is on the same wavelength as you and and that could lead to good things so uh, so i i tend to be of the of the school of thought that says don't don't waste a lot of time on shallow questions when you're getting to know people, um, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, if you want to do the perfunctory "How are you?" at the beginning, okay, but try to move towards something a little more substantive early on, because uh, there's not a lot of risk there, you know. And I think um, you may open up something—you um, may open up something interesting. There does
1: seem to be a line, though, there that you know, too much too soon. You know, the, the, it can be. Yeah, it you've got to be, be um, careful.
0: Uh, that, that's my well. My philosophy is 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 uh, go for it, <laughs> and and I'm I'm sure it can backfire sometimes. Again, it's all about how you do it. It's all about the tone. You know, if you sense that someone is maybe feeling you're coming on too strong, you might want to dial it back a little bit. But I, again, I'll tell you, I've, I find people are hungry for someone to ask them about their passions and their interests. They really are. And because they don't know what to talk about otherwise, you know, but if you give them the the opportunity to talk about something they know about, something they're interested in, something they really care about, you know, they'll dive right in. And, and it, it can be a really good way to almost bring out the best in someone, you know? So so I'm a big believer in that.
1: That's probably really good advice for when you're breaking the ice when you meet people, uh, but I wonder yeah. how things are different with the people we interact with every day where we're, uh, you know, we're, we're perhaps not quite so thoughtful about how, uh, how we approach this.
0: Yeah, I, you know, that's an interesting thing, too. I mean, uh, because what I find is with the with the people we know really well, we stop asking questions, too, because... We feel like we know it all already, right? Or we feel like, gee, it wouldn't make sense for me to ask my wife, you know, something about what What are you really passionate about right now or what are you really interested in right now? Because I'm supposed to know that, you know. But the fact is um, we don't know a lot of times what's going on in someone's life and their minds, and it doesn't hurt to give them that opportunity to express it. Even the people we're close to, I think we need to – Ask them more questions than we do, and I think we need to ask them questions about you know what 's on your job what what 's really going on what, what are you you know what are you excited about right now what or what are you having a problem with right now what what 's on your mind you know um, We need to give people a chance to sort of talk about that stuff, including the people who are close to us, because a lot of times they don 't have any outlet for that and if and if you don't give them an outlet, and you're you're close to them, you're a good friend, or you're a spouse, or a relative, or something. If you're not going to give them an outlet, then who will? You know. So I think um, I think it's really valuable to do that with, even with the people we're close to.
1: Since you've been researching this, are there any other things that surprised you in looking at the research and, and learning about this topic that, that seem maybe counterintuitive or that people perhaps don't know?
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of things. I mean, I'm just always surprised that questions are more powerful than statements. You know? And, and th- what, what I mean by that is you know, there, there's, there's evidence to suggest and, and, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive because we think statements are powerful, right? We think a person who comes out and makes a strong statement is powerful. And that's what's going to convince people, and that's what's going to have the most effect. In fact, questions can be more powerful because what they do is, um, if you're trying to persuade someone of something, better to invite them to think about it. Than to try to tell them what to think, the famous one is uh, you know the um, in a political campaign years ago you know it was I believe it was Reagan who asked you know the question he got people to ask themselves the question, "Are you better off now than you were four years ago? And what he was doing there is getting us to think about uh, you know, gee, am I better off? Do I want to make a change as opposed to him saying. You are worse off now than you were four years ago. If he makes that statement that way, uh, they might be skeptical about it, right? But when he gets them to think about it themselves, it can be more powerful. So that's what surprises me, the ways that questioning can be can have a more persuasive effect and a more, they can be more powerful than statements. Another interesting example I'll give you is, um, this one really fascinated me, something like New Year's resolutions, right? So so we, we all do our resolutions um, as a statement, you know, to ourselves, or we write it down or whatever. But we say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year, you know, and it's a statement. So there was some research done out of, I think it was it was the University of Chicago or so, somewhere in, in, in Illinois, University of Illinois. They did some great research that, that looked into what happens when, instead of making a statement about what you're going to do, you ask it to yourself as a question. So instead of saying, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, damn it, you pose it as a question of, how can I lose 10 pounds? What can I do? How might I uh, go about doing this? They found it was way more effective in terms of people taking action toward the goal. And why is it more effective? Well, um, questions sort of get into our heads. They invite us to think about a problem to try to answer the question, to try to solve the problem. So our minds kind of go to work on it. And then we start to come up with ideas. Gee, you know, I could, well, one thing I could do to lose 10 pounds is I could do this. And then the next day you might have another idea. So it's it's much more engaging to your to your brain when you ask yourself a question as opposed to giving yourself an order, which you will tend to kind of resist a little bit. So uh, that's just another example of how it's just the idea that there's something about questioning There's something about a question being an invitation to think um, or to engage. Uh, There's something very powerful about that that we don't fully appreciate. And it's why I think, you know, in a lot of cases, we should be turning our statements into questions.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and what you were talking about earlier about, you know, there's this general sense of asking, like if you were to ask your child's teacher, so how's little Johnny doing? You're going to get an answer that's pretty general. Well, he's doing fine. As, right. a, as opposed to try, stop for a moment and think, what do you really want to know? How, yeah. how is he doing in math specifically? Is, or how does right. he perform on tests? Or, but, but, but how's he doing is kind of a throwaway question that'll get you a throwaway answer.
0: Yeah. So always, you know, you're always trying to go for a little more specificity and a little more, um, you know, try to, yeah, as, as you just articulated very well, um, you, you know, try to think about what it is you really want to know, you know, because again, questioning is all about curiosity. So try to unearth what your curiosity is. What is it you're, what is it you're interested in? What is it you're trying to find out?
1: Well, since we all spend a good part of our day asking questions, I appreciate the advice of how to ask the right questions and get the right answer. Warren Berger has been my guest. The name of his book is The Book of Beautiful Questions, The Powerful Questions That Will Help You Decide, Create, Connect, and Lead. And there's a link to his book at Amazon in the show notes.
0: Thank you, Warren. Okay, that's great. It was really great talking to you, Mike.
1: Everybody has baggage, and that is seldom said in a good way. We carry our baggage from our family and our childhood into our adult life, and, and if you let it, that baggage can really get in the way. So let's take a look at your baggage and see what it's doing and maybe how you can lose some of it. My guest is Libby Gill. She's the head of her own executive coaching firm. She is the former head of communications and public relations for Sony, Universal, and Turner Broadcasting. She's an international speaker, a best-selling author, and one of her books is called Traveling Hopefully, How to Lose Your Family Baggage and Jumpstart Your Life. Hey Libby, welcome.
2: Thanks Mike, I'm happy to be here.
1: So, it seems to me that some people have a lot more baggage than others that their past weighs heavier on them than on other people. so so, talk about what this baggage is that we we all carry around
2: well, it's funny the 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 further you go in life, the older you get. I think the baggage changes as you change. But when I wrote this book traveling, hopefully, it was about family baggage. It was about letting the the events of your past define who you were in the present. A lot of tragedies and traumas in my past that I think even once I was past them had shaped my identity and even my, my self-perception to some extent. And I wanted to put that in the rearview mirror.
1: So how does that work? Why is it that things that have happened in our past, we have trouble shaking that they do frame who we are?
2: There's a lot of science about that, in fact, and it's, as my studies over the years as a, as a writer have included some of that, and there's one interesting thing called fear memory consolidation, uh, the social scientists call it, and it basically says when you have some fear or trauma and you experience that at some point, you get past it, but you remember it, and as you if you're in an experience that somehow evokes that memory, that you're calling up not the, the original incident that caused that, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do, kind of fight or flight response, but you call up the memory of that. And so each time as that memory, it, it gets reinforced and you are essentially remembering the memory of the memory of the memory. So what was initially a negative incident becomes, it looms much larger as life goes on. If you don't take it, sort of drill it down and say, okay, I'm I'm not part of this anymore, I, I reject this. So there are a lot of reasons we sort of cling to those things.
1: Well, I guess it's it's hard not to because, I mean, we are the result of our experiences and those are some of our experiences, but it does seem that that there's a lot of that negative, oh, you're just like your mother kind of, stuff that, right. that that and and no one ever says that in a good way
2: <laughs> no, or you know what comes up, and it can be from a past marriage, family, workplace event, whatever it is that that sticks with you. And we tend to embrace the negative much more easily than we do the positive. And people dredged up things. You know, a forty-year-old who said, "Well, I never graduated from college," or a woman who was a highly successful entrepreneur who said, "I was always bad at math." You know, that's what my dad said. Your brother's so much smarter. You're so bad at math. And years later, with the spreadsheet in the net worth to prove her otherwise, she still had that kind of lingering feeling. And a lot of us do have that thing sort of hovering in the periphery of our brains, and, and you really have to shed some light on it and, in order to, to exorcise it.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting that that example of someone who had those beliefs had objective proof that they weren't true, but believed them anyway.
2: Right, exactly. And, and it was the same for me. I mean, I grew up in a house with mental illness and suicide and alcoholism. And, you know, my family was so full of drama and tragedy, I just kind of stayed under the radar and came away you know, by the time I was in my 20s, I put myself through college waiting tables. They had, I was the fourth of six kids. They more or less forgotten about me by then. And, you know, I did okay. I went to a state school. I graduated. I got a job. I did all this stuff you're supposed to. But I kept myself very behind the scenes and, and very small because I had this underlying belief. I, I really, my thoughts and my dreams and my plans don't carry much weight. There's not much value there. And it took a long time to think, wow, you know, I've got something of worth to say. And I've got things to do in life that are important, at the very least to me. And uh, and those things, I meet people who've gone through a lot of real traumas like I had. And a, a number of us think, you know, it set us back about 10 years. It took a while just to deal with that and come to grips with hey, I really can do what I set my mind to. I really do have some value in society or in my marriage or in the workplace. It takes a toll if we we let it go unchecked because we just continue to believe what we believe.
1: Do you think people continue to believe what they believe and have a sense that there's something wrong with it or there's nothing to compare it to so we just believe it's all true?
2: I think that's right. And how it manifests is gee, there's something missing, or there's something big I want to go after, but I never do, or I've got this idea, but I'm afraid to share it with anyone, So we, or I'm really good at this one thing, but it's the thing I care the least about. All these other things that are really important, I'm sure I could never do that. So um, I, I, we find other ways to sort of hide ourselves in our feelings unless we're willing to do the... The hard work of what I think is essentially, it sounds corny, but the work of life, which is truly self-reflection.
1: So how does that work? How do you do that? People hear that (laughs) phrase and think, well, so you, what, you sit by a pool and you burn incense and you, you know, uh, chant and, but what does it mean to, what, what's the way out here? What's the, how, how do you get rid of that baggage?
2: Well, from, uh, all I know is what worked for me. And now that I've been doing the work I've been doing for nearly 20 years, I, I see what works for other people. First is to is to take that deep dive into yourself, not to not to stay in the past forever, but to look at what are your beliefs? You know, if you said, what on the deepest level do I think is true about me, what would that be? And, and positive and negative. And really, and then... Really, dis- I call that dissecting your past so you can direct your future. Just really look at that and and those negative beliefs, are they true? Are they valid? Do they serve you? Do Should they be guiding you? And if not, if you can say, like the woman I mentioned, you know what, I'm really successful. I own two houses. I've run these businesses for all these years. Gee, I guess I am smart. And you know what, I can't do math. So the first step is to... Just in your head, intellectually recognize that the emotional and the psychological part doesn't come along right away. But I, I had people, you know, write down that negative that's holding you back, that that belief. I have one client who says, "I just everybody in my family's fat. I'm always going to be fat." And I could go through all the, "Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you?" No, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's like, well, how do you know it's not going to work if you haven't done it? You are accepting this belief. Just based on the fact that that's what you and your family say about yourselves. Okay, so now you gotta try some things out that are really uncomfortable. And we are, of course, creatures of habit. We just continue to do what we did, unless there's either an incident that, that takes us out of that, like an illness or an accident that, that sends us charging in some other direction. Or we call halt and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really do that painful work of, of excavating all of that stuff and getting out what I refer to as the emotional relics. They're there like you know, some archaeological dig, but they're no longer relevant to my life. And yet, I keep clinging to that idea that I'm not pretty enough or smart enough or worth anything or I can't run a business, whatever those things are. And then you have to unravel them bit by bit over time.
1: Sounds hard. Sounds har- it, hard, to do.
2: It is hard. That's why I have I know people. There's one acquaintance of mine. She's been in the same job for 30 years, and she's complained about it for 30 years, to the point that you know nobody listens to her anymore. Gee, uh, why am I not on the short list for these other jobs? Why doesn't anybody call me? Because you haven't moved in 30 years. Nobody believes that you're ready for a change. And it's easier to stay where you are. It's a lot harder to say. I'm going to stop that bad relationship or get out of that bad job or start something that I feel really excited about, and maybe it'll fail. I mean, when I decided, I always wanted to write a book. I always sort of fancied myself as a writer. That was one thing I was good at in school. But, you know, I had to get a job, take care of people, and and that was realistic and practical, and I, I don't regret that. But finally, I got to that point of it's now or never, and i bought a book off of Amazon on how to write a book proposal. And it took me a year to write a book proposal, and I sold it. But there was no magic to it. I just finally said, it's now or never, I'm doing it this year. And I did.
1: It seems that there's this, when people talk about their family, and oh, you know, you're like your father, or you're like your mother, or you, you know, that runs in the family kind of... There's a kind of resignation, like, and so, therefore, you're stuck with it. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree kind of thinking that makes you think, well, there's no hope.
2: Uh, that's that's an easy way out, isn't it? And you can be... It's it's those, um, you know, what was the, the hushed belligerents, or, or the people that live that life of sort of quiet... Um, they've given into it, yeah, quiet resignation. And that's easier in a lot of ways. And it's being sort of comfortable. And if you're comfortable with that, you're gonna stay with that unless you find some greater passion that's gonna pull you out of the fear or your life comes crashing to a halt, which frankly is when most people change their lives. A spouse dies, they get divorced, something tragic happens and they've got to regroup and say, wow, I can't do that any longer. I better figure out a new path. That's the hard way to do it. I mean, who wants that to happen? Um, it's, it's much easier to say, well, maybe it's not easier, but it's, to me, it's much more enjoyable and pleasurable to say, hey, I've always wanted to do this. Why not give it a try? I have a, a colleague who decided she was going to up and go around the world with her two young children and her husband. And they're on now, I get the occasional WhatsApp message, they're on country number three. It, that sounds really hard to do, but she said, we're doing it. And they did. And they are. So it's, it's, the, it's the perseverance, it's the conviction of your, your heart and your gut, and it, it does take some courage and strength.
1: It does take some courage and strength, because I'm sure there are so many people who th- who think about making a change, of trying something new, of doing something different, and think, yeah, but what if that goes wrong, too?
2: Well, it it depends where you set the, the bar for failure. And for me, failure is you just didn't learn anything. So I set the bar really low. If I do something and it doesn't work, and I didn't learn anything, that's a problem. If I do something and it absolutely tanks, and I get it, that goes in the plus column for me. I mean, that's just what I've decided to do. It's I'll try it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a famous writer, executive coach, but I have built a career that's lasted me 20 years on on my own based on my own talents and skills and how I want to spend my time and I, to me you know there are plenty of people who are a lot richer probably a lot smarter more well known and I'm kind of okay with that.
1: When you talk to people though and and maybe you're not a good person to ask this because you're you're dealing with people who are looking for help and who want to change and all that but but I wonder if it's more common for people to feel stuck, that life always goes wrong, things, bad things always happen or whatever. And, they, and, and that's where the self-reflection ends, that it's not, there's nothing more than I'm, I've, I'm just doomed. I'm, you know, so, so therefore there's nothing to do except, you know, <laughs> wait out life until it's over.
2: Yeah, right. And what kind of choice is that? But I tend to have people who come to me who who aren't necessarily supercharged about where to go next. It's often a feeling of there's something missing and I don't know what it is. And I never believe the I don't know what it is part. They're not allowing themselves to either give voice to or to rock the boat with their family. And I'll tell you about one woman who was very high level partner in a law firm, very successful. She could have done that forever. But she came to that point in life, as many people do around their 40s or so, of, gee, I want a deeper sense of purpose. And and this isn't it. I've done it. And it's been great. And so we looked at what does that mean and sort of explored some different core did she want to try and people always start with their career before they want to go to the personal and gee do I want to be an attorney in another firm should I just make a move we ruled that out after a few conversations about why start all over to do exactly the same thing well gee let me try this do I want to be an entrepreneur no I can't I don't have the stomach for that well maybe I can be a public servant And after lots of things that seemed completely unrelated, like getting her to join a running club and go on a couple of dates and things that made her just try something new and different and scary, and she found out the world was not going to fall apart around her when she did those things, they were fine, she decided, okay, a friend, and I put her on a very, very precise exploratory kind of path, and somebody said, hey, there's a seat open for a judge. Would you run for it? And she was, of course, scared to death, but she decided she'd give it a try, and we talked it through, and that's what I do. And it's like, hey, you're going to have to tell your firm that you're doing this. You're going to have to go out and collect signatures, and it may not work. Are you willing to take that risk? And after a lot of times of trying these other risks, she said, yeah, and she did, and she didn't win. But then the next year, another judgeship opened up. Ten years later, she's been a judge all this time. And it's, you know, and I, I write about those stories because there are some people that it's like, wow, you got to put the dynamite under them to get them to, to move, even though they know they're not happy. And other people are just, you know, I know, point me in a direction, help me get there faster or somewhere in between. But I think a lot of people have that, oh, it's lives of quiet desperation. That was the phrase I was, I was searching for. But a lot of people will stay in that. And, and I think most of them don't have to.
1: So what's a good first step for someone listening to you thinking, well, you know, I, th- it sounds like a scary journey, but you know, the old, every journey starts with a single step. So what's step one?
2: Well, it would be too self-serving to say, take a peek at my book, You on Stock," but that's where I started. I, look at yourself. Write out, it, there's some power and magic in words, write out, what's my ideal life? Take yourself through, a, what would 24 hours in your best life look like? And just write it down in a little journal. I mean, for years when I was trying to figure all this stuff out, and I wouldn't say I'm completely there, but I'm a lot further along than I was back then, I bought those little speckled composition books, you know, that you buy for a bucket Target or Walgreens. And I, I would write, I would just sort of journal, and then I would give myself exercises. And that's really what's in this book, the exercises that I, that I use to get me through is start there. What does a great day look like? Are you in your job that you're in now? Are you in your marriage? Are you, are you alone? Are you with children or grandchildren? I mean, how are you spending your day? Who's around? What are your surroundings like? What gives you joy? Um, and write that day and think about, well, how much of that do you have now? Do you have some of it intermittently? Do you have all of it or a lot of it? And, and start right there with, allow yourself to think about and just fantasize. What do I really want in life? Because, you know, I'm, I'm at that point in life, it's like that, you're not getting any younger. I mean, who knows how long life will be, even though we, we think now we're going to live forever. You know, people are living to 100 and feeling really good about it. My mom lived till 97 and was healthy right up until the end. But who knows if that's my fate or your fate. So why not consider what would really be my best possible
1: life? Yeah, well, that's a good question probably everyone should ask. Libby Gill has been my guest. She is the head of her own executive coaching firm. She's the former head of communications and public relations for Sony, Universal, and Turner Broadcasting. And she's author of a couple of books, including Traveling Hopefully, How to Lose Your Family Baggage, and Jumpstart Your Life. You'll find a link to her book in the show notes. Thanks, Libby. Thank you, Mike. Men have often been criticized for staring at attractive women. But women check out men, too. What makes women stare at men? Well, it's been studied, and here's what was found, as reported in Women's Health magazine. On the beach, when you're in a bathing suit, women notice a man's abs, face, shoulders, and biceps. In that order. Abs, face, shoulders, and biceps. On the street, the first thing they notice is... Your eyes, followed by your smile, your height, hands, and your overall style. But the one trait that seems to trump all others is confidence. Any man who projects confidence appears instantly more attractive. And that is something you should know. One thing we know about the audience for this podcast is it continues to grow, and it grows primarily from word of mouth. People like you telling your friends. So please... Share this podcast with someone you know. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know